Welcome to Remix the Narrative. Remix the Narrative is a podcast that discusses the issues and topics that impact children, families, and education. Through dialogue, we discuss the good, bad, great, and ugly with the hopes to promote change. Tune in to get expert advice and tools to help the whole family. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Remixing the Narrative. I am so excited about tonight's conversation. Um, it has been one that I have been looking forward to because I believe, I mean, this is what I talk about all the time. So I feel like, but definitely during these times, this is what people are really thinking about. Like, what is going on with our education system? Um, is remote learning working? Was education ever working? What do we need to consider during this time? And so, um, kind of following in just what's happening in our world today, I feel like this would be the best time to have this conversation. Also, I believe it's a great conversation to have amongst educators and friends and family, because I believe we all have an opinion and insight that what I believe when we're trying to reimagine education, all stakeholders need to be involved. So not just educators, but the parents, community leaders, the children, right? All people should have a voice. And so I'm excited about what comes from this conversation. And we have a panel of just some amazing, amazing women that I'm excited to, this only to be the beginning of our connection, not the end. And so we're going to start with just introductions. And just as you are coming in, for some of you all, you've come and you've watched this before. This is very much so an interactive conversation. We're on the screen, but I'll be moderating, looking at the comments. So if you have a uh, amen. You in agreement. Say it. If you got a question, if you disagree with what we're saying, say it in the chat so we can chop it up because I believe that that is also where innovation comes from. And we're able to kind of come back and forth with our, with our thinking. We can really build some um, strong connections and some next steps. So again, I'm going to stop talking so our panel can introduce themselves and then we're going to jump right in and again, um, put in the chat if someone's on here. My son said, that's my mom. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my son even watching y'all. So we know this is going to be a great conversation. So we, who wants to kick off um, with the introduction? Oh, go. oh, you want to go ahead, Jocelyn? Go ahead, Jocelyn. Okay. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Jocelyn Watson. I am an education specialist or so community counselor with Ada S. McKinley Educational Services. So some of your viewers may or may not remember Silas Purnell, that name. He was known for getting anybody in college. So I have the pleasure of continuing that legacy, uh, both for A.S. McKinley and uh, personally with Watson Academics. Um, I work with high schoolers. I like teenagers. Most people don't, but I do. And I look forward to this conversation. Awesome. Catherine, why don't you go ahead? Sure. I'm Catherine Young, and I'm a native of Decatur, Illinois, uh, residing in Peoria, Illinois. I teach at an alternative high school with Peoria Public School District 150. Um, I've been teaching for 16 years. I'm an English teacher, and uh, is I just have a, a wealth of experience working in urban education. Um, also write for the Traveler, Peoria's oldest black newspaper here in Ooh. Peoria. And I have two teenagers of my own uh, navigating this road here through education. So I'm really glad to be here. And then this Little. <laughs> hey, um, Marlena Little, uh, mother, educator, um, writer. And so I'm a contributor to the Citizen Ed. Um, which is a part of the Washington Post 
educational section, and I'm right now MTSS Director, Instructional Coach at um, the King Academy of Social Justice. Uh, definitely excited, love being in the classroom, but also, also being out of the classroom, and this is definitely the highlight of my week, because uh, it's been rough now. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. And um, just to end off, I'll, for those who may or may not know me, I'm Jerima, the host of Remix the Narrative. I'm also the founder of Birth into Books. I've been in education since 08, so I'm in my 13th year. I've taught everything from kindergarten. I'm currently in high school, so I'm with Jocelyn. I love high schoolers. They, We have amazing conversations in the classroom. And also, I'm a parent. I have a nine-year-old. And so when I think about Reimagine education. I'm thinking about it for my students, but I'm also thinking it for my own son and for the people that I work with. So let's go ahead and jump into our first question. So um, I sent this ahead to the ladies so we could really dive deep into this, but I want us to look at education from all different angles, right? First, we got to think about where it's even started from before we can talk about where it's going. And so the question I would like to ask is, what was some of the main um, practices and what was the vision that you know of, of education from the past? And was those practices effective? What was that, was that landscape effective when it came to thinking about education? Whoever wants to jump into that first. You know, honestly, when I first think about uh, the, the past, one word that I kind of been thinking about is control. Um, education controlling who's going to learn, who's going to have that advantage, um, who's going to have the exposure to really have a strong foothold uh, and grown. And I just kind of want to start off with that and, and you know, and get your viewpoint. When, but that's something I just really kept thinking about was just that level of control. You know, um, it's, 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 it's going to be a controlled setting as to who's going to have that access. Mm -hmm. Uh, thinking about something that was effective um, from the post-secondary or high school going into college or careers, for me, I thought about exposure. So you just kind of just said that. Um, for me, being able to have speakers come in, to have young alum come in that graduated from Julian or the high or my high school or a high school in the city, taking them to college on college tours that kind of exposure is that especially for young people who don't leave the city or don't leave their immediate area because of whatever reason is always a big deal um some of our young people still have not been an hour out of the city so for me uh practice of practices in post-secondary or you know post high school that allow for exposure they mean so much so that, that's something that was to me effective you know, what, what immediately came to mind, just so I don't forget, is this, when you said control, I thought about, you know, yes, that's a very good word, but, but I also thought about like this, when we talk about like fixed and growth mindsets, right? And I think about when we talk about control, I believe, and to be honest, I think it's still current today, but education was in a way of like, yeah, control, but why am I controlling you? I'm controlling you because I need you to be able to follow orders. I need you to be able to uh, produce what I said needs to be produced. I need you to respect authority. I need you to understand that there is levels to this. Like there is a boss and then there, you know, 
teacher, student, but it's kind of like replicating like the boss and employee, right? And so when I think about control, I believe that in many ways, it did not allow our kids to be innovative and think and problem solvers. It's really just like, it's only one way to get to the answer. Yes. And this is the way to get to it. Anything outside that answer, you're going to get in trouble. Um, mm -hmm. But then I think on the flip side to what you just said, Jocelyn, because I think about when I was um, in high school, I went to Morgan Park, and what was such a highlight for us was when people did come back from college because you would see a difference. I think, you know, this idea of like you must go to college, that was definitely a big push when I was in high school, of like college is the way, college is what you need to do. And we did see the positive side of that. Like people that I remember being in upper grades when they came back, I'm like, oh, he talked different. Or she, she was like, she, you know, like, you know, you just remember in high school things being so cliquish and everybody wants to be like this person. It felt like people came back new people. And so it was for me, I think that exposure, as you talked about, of like, you know what, especially if you were in high school and you felt like you didn't really belong, you see people come back who will tell you like, man, when you get to college, don't nobody care about that. <laughs> like, no. So it was really cool to see uh, people come back and really vouch for college. That's what I remember being in school. Um, so that control, I thought about who and who benefits from that control. Mm -hmm. but then also exposure does help those who maybe didn't see it at home as somebody that went to college. Um, that can be a motivator. When I heard her say control, my mind said structure because uh, there's a level of structure in education, um, you know, and I can speak, you know, from the high school standpoint, just understanding how to function past, okay, I know my teacher's going to still get, you know, grade this assignment. So there's still a level of structure uh, or control that needs to happen or be taught because you still are going to have things that must happen and you will lose a letter grade, you can't cop, you know, some of the things that you get away with in high school don't make it in college. Um, and so you still need to have some level of structure. So when she said control, my brain says structure because we still have to teach some of that deductive reasoning. We still have to teach them how to manage classrooms, manage uh, professors, send them back in the classroom with your earbuds in, it's not gonna cut it on the campus. So we gotta still teach them a level of that so that they don't flounder or learn the hard way academically and then financially when they get to campus, whether it's a community college or a four-year school. So we still need some of that. We still need it. I guess when I thought of this, I thought about the system itself, um, because that's sometimes what we see when we talk about education, be like the system of education or the institution. Um, and there are those pieces structurally that exist within that. Um, but was it effective? It has to be aligned to what you think the agenda was. Yeah. So has yeah. it been effective for black and brown students? No. Has it been effective for a small subsection of students that may have, you know, more opportunities than others that may fall in that, that racial category? Yes. Um, but it depends on what you're looking at as to the metrics of what is effective. I can mm -hmm. say it was effective for me because there's like a, a path that I had depending on whatever you you know want to call it. But people who had the same sort of opportunities and they didn't take those, it hasn't been effective. Um, and mm -hmm. so there are those pieces where we have to look at like what has happened over time and how much of our own perspective and where we are really lends to us having this idea that it is effective or not. It just depends on where you are yeah. in your educational um, experiences in the mm -hmm. past. But I don't believe that it has 
really benefited us entirely as a whole. And so that comes from, well, what was it designed to do? And I definitely believe it was designed to do exactly what it's doing right now. And, you know, when you said that, I automatically thought about like laws and things that were put in effect for education. And so I started thinking about no child, no child left behind. Right. Um, we can have a whole podcast about that. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, who, who, who we not trying to leave behind? But um <laughs> I think, to be honest, when we start talking about present day, that's the beginning of this whole test prep, this whole teach to the test mentality. Because I remember, um, like, growing up, I went to a Catholic school. So pretty much my parents, I went to Catholic school all the way up to seventh grade. Then I went to Morgan Park for high school and then college. And I remember when I was younger, we had, well, like, the Iowa test, maybe. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, we were just learning. <laughs> like I was just doing stuff and yeah. projects and things like that. I didn't feel as if my year was built around this one thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I remember being in school and we had projects, science fairs, and we had all these different things that really was like demonstration of what we learned. But it was like, and then we also take Iowa, but then we gonna keep doing what we doing here. And then I remember distinctly when it started shifting, right? When it started become more about this test versus the content because some of those even extracurriculars started to seem as if they were taking away from us excelling on this test and i believe that that is a lot of where i believe we went wrong and and i still are wrong because i again have very passionate views about standardized testing because it took away i believe me being an educator what it means to be an educator because I mean, what I was measured against is about this benchmark that I'm like, who set this benchmark? Mm -hmm. You know, this content is not considering my kids, considering me, considering our neighborhood. It's like this idea that everyone and I get that we want to have a standard because you can compare something to. But it's something when you say I haven't mastered it that I haven't learned. And that's a problem, you know. And so I believe that a part when we think about the past is what has become now our present is that everything is around testing. And that I believe has really in many ways made it that kids don't even want to be in school. Like I don't want to be in school if all I do is take tests. And all you care about is if I pass this test. And if I don't pass this test, I don't go to the next grade level. Like what else are we looking at as a measure? Absolutely. And same thing for the educators who wants to come to work and just teach to assess. If that and especially if you are, you know, an English teacher and you have to make sure that they understand this particular diagram or particular part of English and grammar that has no bearings on their everyday vernacular. If they not if they don't see it, if they're not feeling it, it's not something that they can use on an everyday basis. It's hard for at least us, our kids and the young people that I've come in contact with to grasp the concept and now you want to test them on something that they don't have a feel for, don't have an understanding for, and it wears you out as the teacher. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's definitely something that's a part of, I guess, our current and past um, education system that has not been what it was meant to be. It's not effective at all. Yeah, I totally agree with both with what both of you said. I mean, when I think about growing up, I do remember being more creative and having that that time to, you know, like you said, do the projects, uh, be able to research, be able to hone my my leadership skills and, um, you know, speaking skills and just other opportunities coming into play. 
and then you know there was the test but yes currently in this current time and i've even taught middle school as well um having that stress and that pressure where you're constantly just looking at these numbers but yet education isn't just about numbers right you know but at the same yeah. time yeah, when we're when we're working with kids and they don't understand uh, the construct of the test the vocabulary or anything related to it it's like who is this really benefiting nobody nobody yeah and maybe they did have to have the same demands you know the teachers that we had we just didn't feel it you know these the kids now they feel their teachers frustration and angst with their principal because the principal was going to the principal meetings and he coming back cracking the whip and so now the teachers are frustrated and they come right in the classroom with it maybe our teachers were just great magicians and they didn't make us feel it yeah. um but you know because these tests aren't new i had to take the iowa test and all of those tests but something about how it feels now and how it uh, wears on the teachers comes across in the classroom. You can only do, do your best work when you follow the leader. And if your leader is exhausted mentally and otherwise, you can't help but do the same thing. It yeah. sounds like we had like really good experiences um, mm -hmm. because I hear some of the same things that you all had. Like I went to a gifted school, um, I think called the Regional Gifted Center elementary school and i remember not caring that the test came it was just like oh shoot here comes this test but also in talking to you know colleagues and people over the years like they didn't share that same experience like they felt all of the what we're saying our kids feel now mm -hmm. back then so i think even us right now we had a certain privilege that a lot of people didn't have and so we're able to operate out of our privilege and say like, yo, some things were good and some things weren't, but we're just a small percentage. And even where That's we are right. right now is indicative of us having, you know, that opportunity because a lot of parents from, it you know, the I've taught in, they hated school. Like they had that same angst that we're saying is present now. It was present then for them even with the teachers that they had. And so I think it comes into looking at, well, who was prepared and who wasn't? Mm -hmm. And where did the prep, the even knowledge of who needed to be prepared a certain way? Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I didn't even know that my experience was, was not the norm until college. So I went to college and I started tutoring, like, wait, kids don't know how to read? Wait, what, they in eighth grade? Like, I had no idea. And that was like the norm. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of fueled even me being in education entirely. But now I operate from a different space of saying, like, I was an anomaly, so to speak. Not really an anomaly, but mm -hmm. I can't expect anybody to have the same optimism that I have in education because they didn't have the same experience. They're right. looking at all of the things they didn't have because they weren't prepared for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And so even in that, it's like we have to change kind of what happens for all of our kids, mm -hmm. where they live, you know, their parents, all of that. Um, and it's not just us. So I'm in the uh, Tri Alpha. So I'm president of Tri Alpha National Honor Society at NLU. And it's the first generation honor society. And it's amazing how many first generations we still have going to college yeah. in 2020 or 2021 that, even, that aren't even Black. So I was like, what the, because, you know, they try to have this narrative that it's a lot of Black people who are still first generation, but we find that there are a lot of Hispanics and other people of color who are having mm -hmm. this same 
barrier. Um, so when I think of that, I'm just like, well, was it really effective for a subset of subsection of people that don't look like me? Um, so it's just it's interesting to hear like we all have really good experiences, but I don't think that a lot of people are experiencing in education. And you, oh, I'm sorry, even you saying that a couple of things hit like two. Um, I would have to say, and I would love for if people are watching and you've been teaching for like over 25, 30 years, you know, like what was your field like maybe in the beginning versus now? Because I think that that's important to hear. But I do think that there was a level of, um, there was a level of anxiety when it came to teaching, I think, period, just because. It's a very much so like performance-based job. <laughs> like, are you doing your job? If, if your kids are not hitting the mark, then it's always going to come back to the teacher. And then eventually it's going to come back to the principal. And if the principal feels that he's going to make everybody or she's going to make everybody feel it. So I can yeah. see how, especially because we could think back to when like schools were closing, mm -hmm. um, all these different things in the city, it was very much so tied to performance. So I believe that if you were in a school, that did not have that pressure of maybe being closed and you probably were coasting, right? You probably were feeling. And it seems like for on this call, like me and you definitely, Marlena, were in that situation. Also, it talks to our families who don't have access, right? And so like my family, for example, I grew up my whole life in Auburn Gresham. My parents, however, um, they weren't making it. They both worked at the post office, but they, for them was like, okay, we're gonna pay for my kids to go to private school because they believed that it was safer, right? And it was better in our neighborhood school. So there was a level of protection I had when it came to education. And I'm always mindful of that when I do talk about things because we can get really, and I think that's where we fall into pitfalls when we're making decisions in education like this. This is gonna help everybody in me doing this. And that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, for many of our families, what if I don't have the money for them to be in that after school program? Or what if I don't have you know, the access or the transportation or, you know, um, I did, you know, I could have, you know, my parents had in, in their situation, they worked. So I had a choice. Either I'm going to go to my neighborhood school or private. They pick private. But some people don't have that. It's just like, look, we got to make this neighborhood school work. Mm -hmm. And our, you know, unfortunately, our school, I mean, our city is super segregated in the way it looks at providing for the people in the city. And so depending on what side of the tracks you were on, you may have gotten less funding. So I think that that is, I like you pulling that out because I think there is a level of privilege we have to be aware of that yeah. this conversation. But I do also think that um, teaching was more enjoyable. And the only reason I say that is because people retired from teaching. And I believe now the teacher burnout is losing. Okay, oh, yeah. teachers are leaving. The retention rate for being a teacher, I mean, I have never seen so like i remember in my elementary school alone like generations of people had the same teacher right like you just knew who your sixth grade teacher was gonna be she'd been a sixth grade teacher since whenever you know what i mean and i got excited because i know that's gonna be my next teacher i could even speak for the schools i've i've worked in if my kids came back they wouldn't come back to the same people because people have left they're like i can't do education they've moved to other ways to work with kids just because it's just too much so um, maybe they did, you know, they were magicians, but I do believe that they did see this as like a retirement as a job, whereas I don't think people look at teaching like that now. No, yeah. no. I wonder I things, so I, before I forget uh, that you both brought up, this when you were talking, Marlene, I was thinking about growing up, 
there was such um, a high sense of community that, um, you know, I grew up in a single parent home, but all of my siblings, we went to college, you know, um, and especially like in the 90s when drugs was high and stuff, our family was impacted by that. But yet we had the morals and the values instilled in us that it's not if you're going to college, what college are you going to? You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't if you're finishing high school, but of course that just is the ex- expectation. That's just a part of your learning, you know, yeah. and even the drug dealer was <laughs> rooting you on, you knowing that you was a part of the track team, you know, or that you were active and you weren't in the streets. Um, I just felt like in, in the past growing up, there was such a high influx of, of community, bringing people together, really having a strong interest a selfless interest of wanting to see kids succeed, you know, um, and wanting to do well. Whereas now there are people that want to be involved, but uh, like you said, sometimes it's it's more monetarily based, you know, are you going to be a part of their program? Uh, And if you are, you have to pay for it. And if you don't have the money, then you may not be able to get that particular resource where there were, you know, maybe due to funding or uh, just different, you know, private donors and different programs. I mean, so I remember being a part of Principal Scholars Program, which came out of U of I, um, you know, and that just helped to, to work with us as high school students. And, and nowadays, it's just like we're we're missing those opportunities some, uh, oftentimes, you know, um, when, you know, when you're trying to bring people into to, to help the kids and to be able to keep pushing. So and I also think the value of uh, from the family standpoint of valuing education, you know, I think was just a lot higher and a lot stronger. Um, so compared to now, it's it's like I know that families want their kids to succeed, but sometimes it, you know there's so many other things that come into play now, and especially now in the current landscape, uh, you know if they need help making making the bill, you know paying your bills and uh, making that rent, what are you going to really say? Especially if I'm teaching high school, you know, and and their son is helping them pay the bills. Yes, education is important, but then they're saying, hey. They can get that later because I need help right now. You know, mm-hmm. so thinking about that. Absolutely. Um, talking. Well, I'm mm-hmm. going to, um, and I'm going to pull up, and maybe you all are aware of this. I don't want to assume, so I put it in the chat. So if you see my response to you, um, I want you to let me know what you mean. But I think this is a good segue to talking about present day. So uh, someone in the chat said, the fallout from this, some past educational practices are made startlingly visible last Wednesday. So um, going forward, education has got to be focused on questioning everything. And uh, I think that is a perfect, perfect segue to the present times. Okay. So when we think about education today, um, do we think that what the measures people are, are making, is it working? Uh, what do you think that they're basing upon? Is it effective? Let, let's talk about right now. What's going on? <laughs> It's rough right now because we don't know what we're doing. Um, everybody's trying to figure it out um, in their own way, trying to use what they had, what they want their student population to have, what they've been educated to do to try to build what this should be. Um, this is really new. This is, you know, this isn't a movie. You know, we see movies where they everybody's at home, but to actually live it, is a different story um and i keep telling people that our kids are zoomed and google meet out they are tired of the computer they used to love the computer used to have to 
get them treats to get off the internet. But now they are exhausted. So the we're kind of building it as we go. Um, you know, as much as we uh, fuss at uh, Dr. Janice Jackson and our, you know, our mayor, our good mayor, they don't know. <laughs> so I think it's a really, um, we're in a really fragile space and time. Um, we can definitely use social media and the internet to build some great educational curriculum, but you also have to think about how mentally exhausting it's been for the last almost year to have to be on this computer every day. So um, I think it's just a kind of evolving thing. I don't I don't know what's really been effective right now. I, I wonder, I love to hear what you ladies have to say. One thing I can say in our school district, what's been effective is the outpour of love of helping the families. Um, they said, I'm hungry, we got you. You know, you come come get breakfast, come get lunch every day. Um, you know, paying bills, paying, uh, helping them to be able to stay, you know, in their homes. Um, uh, so that outpour has been tremendously felt. Um, but I, I definitely agree. Um, the motivation, the creativity. I mean, no matter how we try to flip it, if we're really honest, you know, we try our best trying to be creative and innovative and doing some things right now. People's minds mentally is just like everyone needs to to be. We need to have some therapy time every day, honestly, you know, because um, we are broken and mm -hmm. it is going to definitely take time to heal. And, and especially with our young people, you know, because they still have to keep going through this and navigating this. But yet we still like, you know, do all this work, keep doing all these other things. No, you can't go outside. You know, you can't go, you know, you can't, you don't have a release. So, and that's the thing. It's like, where is the release coming from? Mm -hmm. And you start to see all these other mountain issues all around you. Absolutely. So this is, um, I may have an unpopular opinion, so. Oh, I, 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 know, I, know, I know I do, so I'm ready. I'm ready to <laughs> um, I, I personally feel like this time in, in our lives is people experiencing what a lot of black people have felt forever right and now it becomes this thing because now it's like wait i have to be educated with limited resources or i have to figure out something <laughs> when i didn't have when i don't have it like that's just everyone's space right now but this is something we've thrived in like i just feel like as as a black american we've thrived with having little and so this for us was probably a time for us to just, you know, figure out how we do what we need to do for our kids, but also at a time for us to figure out how schools need to be more community schools. And someone talked about mm -hmm. that, like if I'm in a neighborhood, regardless of where those kids come from, that I serve the neighborhood in which my building exists. And so if I have more resources, then I need to be tapping into providing those resources to other schools. Um, and the other piece of that is, I think my own daughter, like, you know, she kind of struggled in the beginning with the social aspect, but she has thrived when I've told her how to use technology to make sure she's learning what she's learning. You have everything at your fingertips, right? Like you don't need your teacher, honestly. You don't need the video that they're giving you because I can find you another one that will, you know, kind of mitigate any type of misconceptions that you have. And so with that type of empowering now I'm seeing her do well and beyond what this standard says, right? And so I think that when we imagine what it could look like, 
we have to then take away the confinements of what it used to be because we can't do school the way we did. We can't rely on a teacher's personality. We can't rely on their whole, like, I'm going to do this or the authority structure of anything. We have to really look at, do you know the content? Can you present it to the kids? And can they walk away knowing exactly what they need to know? So we use everything that we have, whether it's a video or, you know, collaborative um, spaces like Padlets or, you know, all of these other tools effectively, then they actually have the opportunity to really bridge those gaps way far more than they did before. Because school now becomes something you can do at any time. It's not eight to three o'clock. It's not, you know, this prescribed period of time where in their minds it was like, no, I'm in school. Nah, go research whatever, you know, we're talking about at eight o'clock after dinner today and let me know by responding to the chat. So I think it's just a space for us to see that we have to be more mindful of educating our own in our home first and then using those things that we know are working and just having a more collective conversation like this one, like, hey, this worked for my kid and, you know, it may work for your students or whatever. But the burnout, in my opinion, comes when you're steadily trying to do the same thing to a group of kids who are completely different. I am a different learner than my students. I can't do the same thing. So I'm going to get frustrated if I'm still trying to stand in front of them and talk and do this and do this spelling word and do because they're Mm -hmm. like, why? Why I got to do this? You know what? That type of questioning that we talk about. We just have to make sure that they're questioning effectively and in the right space. But that questioning comes from needing to know exactly what you're doing and what you're going to impart to them, because I have all the knowledge anyway at my fingertips. So give me the rationale of why is this important? And if you can connect that as a teacher, then you can do some amazing things. And I've seen some amazing things when that connection happens. And they're not burnt out in this space. They're really invigorated. Like, man, I've seen some stuff. Because you remove just this idea of a building as that place where learning has to occur. Yes and no. Uh, I agree that, yes, if you are able to give a why or find that why for a student, it gives them a, a reason to do the work. It gives them a reason to finish the assignment or whatever they do in the project or build their own project. So I agree to that point. But because... I think you just said it. There are so many different types of learners. Um, One teacher in one space or even splitting in the class into breakout rooms and trying to deal with the the different uh, learning personalities and styles. You still don't have the bandwidth to do it, even if you do it after work, even if you say, "Okay, you don't finish the assignment in our 50 minutes of your work by 7 p.m. to just still give them space to kind of comprehend what they just heard, you still have so many different learning styles in that that I'm glad it worked for, for your child, but some of the diverse learners in our school settings that were already struggling are, are really um, not even coming to class now. I don't, you know, I don't know about your schools, but I'm seeing a lot of my counterparts in CPS high schools with uh, non-attendance rates through the roof because they're, they can't, they don't have a chance to build the connection because they've already turned off. So I, I want to reimagine it. I want us to be able to say, okay, this is your why. Why do I have to take algebra? Okay, so here are three, three things that somebody with a background in algebra can do. 
whether they want to make a hundred thousand or whether they want to make fifty thousand, and you can start to build those whys in. But if they have already lost their interest from being in that space, it's hard. It, it can be hard. I won't say it's impossible, but it can be hard to pull them back in. And I think um, I can't think of your name, but you mentioned it. If your mom is got you a job during Christmas break or when this first started and you are making full-time hours like a lot of my high school kids that I see at Jules and they're like, Ms. Watson, I'm making full-time hours. Yes. <laughs> I see, I get my GED. I'm good. I can't fight you to come back to class if you're making enough money to help the house. Yeah. Well, so, I'm going to say my, my unpopular opinion. Go. <laughs> My unpopular opinion is that none of this matters. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is I think that the problem is that, back to what I think Marlena said, we're acting mm -hmm. as if, so this is, I think we could talk about now being in this mm -hmm. pandemic, mm -hmm. and then we talk about present within the last five years, right? Okay. So if we're talking about pandemic, I don't know why are we still trying to act, like why are we still trying to teach kids? And now that I don't think you shouldn't be trying to teach kids, so don't get me on that. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like the same level of, uh, like, I think that you have to take inventory of, like, what really matters right now. Yeah. And for me, I think what matters is our mental health mm -hmm. and stability and that you do feel like you have a community. And I believe that trying to still make this seem like last, beginning of last year when I went to check in and I did my homework at X, Y, and Z, it's as if like you in this burning house, everything around you. Because I mean, you got to think about not just an education, like the things that's happening yeah. in our world, period. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, so much has happened in this last year. And it's like you, you're telling me to tune that all out, log on to my Google Classroom and do this uh, worksheet. I don't care about that worksheet. I don't care. I'm sorry. I'm not motivated. I don't care if we do Kahoot. I don't care if we play it as a Jeopardy. I don't care if it's a visual aid that goes along with it i'm just not in the mindset to be able to be present as if i was when i was in the building and shame on me to make a parent feel bad that they're not in the mindset mm -hmm. you know what i mean because there's some parents who now their whole world is turned upside down they now i mean i i know i speak from a place of privilege when i talk about this i have i'm only i only got one child and so i even know with just my one child the end of last year I was losing my mind because I teach. So I'm trying to figure out my school. They don't know what the, we don't know what we're doing online. So I'm trying to teach his teacher. I hear her in the background. She's trying to figure it out too. He, you know, it's a lot going on and you know, it's just too much. And I feel like why, what will we really lose if this year we really looked at this as like, what's priority is our family's mental and physical health. Why don't we prioritize that? Like, if you really think about it, certain standards and skills, like, it, I can't get that next year. Like, I mean, I just feel like certain things just shouldn't matter. Certain testing, like, whenever my school talks about still trying to do a test, like, a standard, I'm like, why? Why? Like, how is that data going to help anybody? Why are we trying to figure out how they're going to log in? How is, are we ever going to really use that data? Is that data really true to help us make the next step? So I think for me, my my sometimes not popular opinion is that I, and this is me speaking as an educator, mm -hmm. as a mother, I just think that certain things, we're not putting what matters first. 
And I think what matters first is the same thing with you. I teach high school and I have kids who legit are like Ms. Warm. Like they are depressed. Like I teach freshmen. Mm -hmm. They didn't have no graduation. Now mm -hmm. they start high school like this. They don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Guess what? I'm in Zoom, but I still ain't engaged because I don't even know what's going on. Like I yeah. literally am still, like we all trying to figure it out. And how dare I say, well, I get that, but you got all these, I'm putting all these zeros in. Like where's the, yeah. you know. And that's where I think, Jarema, we need to, teachers have, educators have to change their mind on that. Like y'all said, during this time, okay, we talking about the mental health, um, or we're talking about, okay, you're going to go and be working. Well, let's talk about budgeting. Your grade to be based on that budget. Let's look at your budget. Let's look at how can you open up a bank account instead of just talking about the regular old thing or, or Beowulf or this paper that you need to do. Let's talk about things that's going to make sense and matter to you so that you can apply it to your life. You can help your, your parents, you know, and then you can really start thinking about, okay, I, I can learn how to pivot differently as a student. Yes, this, this sucks. <laughs> You know, because we are all still coming from a standpoint of privilege, you know, so mm -hmm. it's different for our kids. But yes, but those are the conversations I'm having. Am I having a mental health conversation? I'm like, let, just let me know. Like, how are you feeling? What are you talking about? I'm going to come from that, that, that perspective, you know, come from that angle of helping you not, like you said, we about to put it in, well, my district wouldn't even put in zeros, put in 40%, which is a whole nother topic. But um, <laughs> we, but we put in I am a proponent of grading floors as well. So there may be another <laughs> unpopular <laughs> thing. Yeah. But, but, you know, giving them tools that they really can, can use or at least apply and say, okay, this is something I can come away with and it's actually going to help me instead of just, you know, who's caring yeah. about, you know, whatever we would normally do. Um, I, I do think we do need to think about it. And Marlena, earlier, you, you did make a good point that for our people, because um, I was thinking like, I'm not burnt out. You know, I get tired of being pulled from sometimes with the different, um, the constant decisions that are being made. And then we're like, we don't have a voice, you know, really, uh, you know, to be able to say like, well, I don't want to do that. But um, yeah, but it's just like, if we just, I think, change that, our, our perspective of that, like, change that curriculum to say, okay, maybe these things really don't matter and we need to shift. Because, you know, I'm speaking as a from a community-based organization standpoint and I'm watching what's happening in the classroom when we are creative. Ultimately, that teacher still has to be able to speak to the mandates required as a high school teacher for CPS. So even if they do have this awesome idea to shift the mindset, um, I think right now the seniors, uh, seniors and juniors are doing consumer ads. So they are talking about budgeting and we're talking about return on investment and, you know, looking at young entrepreneurs. So we are trying to change and shift the narrative. But ultimately, that has to be a letter grade attached. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and so I guess. I get that we need to change and look at it at a, in a different perspective, but I also understand that there's a mandate on the educators, CPS or otherwise, that they still have to adhere to, um, that you don't always get a chance to have that balance. So I just I just wonder, you know, how can we how can we support that balance? Go ahead, Marlena. I'm sorry. Mandates as in standards, like being able to 
show that a student is proficient at a standard or you're talking about like specific laws related to what you have to teach? Uh, a little bit of both, because from what I understand that there are certain things that a student has to pass in order to like, OK, there are certain requirements for a senior to graduate high school. And so not only are they uh, looking to have three plus college applications, two plus scholarship applications, uh, finish customer ed, they're also supposed to have a certain number of things that they do in their other classes that uh, are requirements for senior year, not only for CPS, but for the state. So now you have this teacher being really creative about customer ed and they're watching these really cool videos about entrepreneurs, but does it speak to all of the other things that the principal is going to ask that teacher to have done? And so that's that's the the balance I'm seeing educators from you know from outside looking in, looking to try to do so that they have the student has that why, but as the teacher, I still am able to answer to the principal when I go to my grade level meeting. So you know that I, and I guess you all can answer that, you know, as teachers in the classroom, how do you strike this balance that we're all talking about? You know, where you meet what's required of you as an educator, but also support your students in having as much as they can right now. I um when I was teaching, I taught the way that I was taught. And so I went to Whitney Young. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they did really well in Whitney Young was I never I don't feel like the standard was ever the thing that we had to hit. Okay. The teacher always knew it was there, right? But the way in which we did it, the way in which we were allowed to have like some autonomy over how we were learning was what produced these, you know, amazing scores that they have, you know, had for, for all of these Never. years. Yeah. And so when I went into the classroom, that was something that I decided to replicate, whether I was teaching, you know, kids who were three, four grade levels behind or those who were a little bit on on grade level. I think it's important to know what that end goal is, but mm -hmm. to be able to teach your students in a way where they connect not just the end goal, but also their their real life. So, I mean, I taught a lot of reading. Right. So I would teach the classics. I mean, I'm, I'm going to teach you things like Beowulf or we're going to read um, Anne Frank. Right. But that's one perspective because right. I know that I have to also teach you in the manner in which these tests were written. So I have to talk to you about like the vocab and, and then yeah. we have to talk about why it was written that way, because this is a language, so mm -hmm. to speak, that you don't even use. So it's like teaching a second language. But also, let me talk to you about that other piece that's happening in the world with Black people, because that's you know who I was teaching at the Absolutely. same time. So we're looking at the 1920s. We're also going to talk about the 1920s, where we had thriving businesses or Harlem and all of that. And then you use your own knowledge in order to create a picture of what life was. And I think that sometimes we don't do that enough because it takes a lot of time right it's a lot of work that wasn't something that was like one day i decided to just do a plan no it literally no, took a work time. Mm -hmm. but it is something i gleaned from my own experience and so sometimes we're asking teachers to connect dots that they didn't experience mm -hmm. and if you don't experience something you don't know how to do that life skills portion where it's budgeting inside of a lesson talking about, you know, whatever that math standard is. You just see that standard as an isolated thing when honestly 
it's everything. So one of the things I do for teachers is say, especially in math, connect everything to money. Connect everything to something. If we're even doing slope, you know, figure out how they can know how many things, how much, you know, it would cost me to have an Uber ride, you know, as opposed to when we had a cab ride where they had a starting, you know, portion, you know, mm -hmm. it'd be a starting amount. Like they don't mm -hmm. have that anymore. So maybe, you know, use those sort of things in order to teach the standard. I just think that we are stuck on this is what they have to learn instead of it being the skeleton. We can provide all the meat. Of course, we, you know, take all that away. You have a skeleton, but the mm -hmm. standard is just something that they should know, period. Not a, a, a date or anything like that, because many of our students who are surpassing this, they're learning that way earlier than we, we put on a grade level, you know? So it's just, I just think it's according to experience. And some of our teachers are in a profession where they didn't experience teaching the way they have to teach. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it becomes like this issue. Um, and then the other piece is, um, I know some people who are back at school right now. And so their diverse learners are just in a room. And so it's like, okay, so what are they getting? They're not getting a human connection because we have to be mm -hmm. six feet apart. They're not getting, you know, all of the hands-on that they would get in a traditional school with manipulatives and mm -hmm. activities and, you know, just hands-on learning. So what really is this doing for them? It's further isolating. We can't provide that SEL support because we can't have that human connection the way we would need to in order to really bridge that gap for some of our DL learners. So, I mean, even in that, it's like, I understand that there are laws and all of that, but if a DL teacher can't even do the things that make them amazing, then we just got kids in a room and they could be in a room at home with a parent, mm -hmm. you know, a parent who's saying like, you can do this or you got this. And if they don't have that, then that's another conversation where we can yeah. provide in the home. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, what are we really doing when they're going into school and it's just a building? Right now, it literally looks like an institution. And I want to say like a quick shift, and I want to pose this to Catherine as well, because you said something that I think goes into this next point. So I know you said, Jocelyn, what happens when we as teachers, we got these band-aids, you know what I mean? We got grade book checks, we got observations, all these things are still very real. Um, we have benchmarks that rates our schools, right? And so that's based on our performance. So definitely it's that pressure and that stress. But I think when we start talking about what's the future, mm -hmm. I, my push for that is going to what uh, Catherine said, that maybe the future needs to be more so like, what is the real world going to really be like? Because mm -hmm. I feel like even with the standards and all these testings, like we got to see how do you know if something's effective? And this yeah. is what I think effectiveness comes in. When our mm -hmm. kids leave us and then they go to college, like how many are actually graduating? How many are actually feeling prepared when they got there? Yeah, how many even if they were like straight A, whatever students in high school, um, how well do they actually feel like they were set up for success? And similar to Marlena, like when I went to high school, we didn't teach the standards either. But I would still say there were things when I got to college that my professor, even they would kind of question. And that's why I, I, I sometimes want to like, is there communication between high schools and college? Because I remember just even being in my like intro classes for, you know, my freshman year, sophomore year. And it was just certain things. I'm like, we talked about that. 
but we didn't go really in depth and it feels like that's what mattered more for this class versus what we did when I was in high school. You know what I mean? Or even if it was, you know, if you're really passionate about science, right? Like there needs to be some kind of connection with that. Cause if you're, cause when I went to school, like I wanted to be a teacher and then at one point I did want to be a pediatrician. And then I realized there was a certain things I should have been exposed to and done. Cause by the time you get to college, <laughs> it's like, look, it's really a weeding out and it's not really a weeding out of the of of being able to do it. it's just like were you exposed to this you know what either you gonna have to like work 10 times harder than this person that was or you might just need to change your major because you literally are about to teach yourself a bunch of skills that you probably should have gotten in high school and so i guess for me my question is like do we just need to just scrap it not scrap and start over but i feel as if the graduation rates in college suck. There's a there's a mis there's a disconnect. Something is not going I mean, even from like your top elite schools, you still don't have like all of them being finished through college, all of them, whatever. So is it some structural things we need to change? Maybe math is becoming more on that, you know, um budgeting and you know, ex you know, I don't know. I just think when it comes to is the current measurements for elementary and high school actually working? Because if they're not, then why are we still doing them? Like, then it should, we shouldn't be doing it because it's not working. If, I, if the true goal is to get our kids to college, if that's your choice, right? Because I also believe in this new age, college doesn't have to be the only way. But if college is the way, are we actually preparing those kids that want to go to actually graduate in four years? Um, and be able to really thrive. And so I guess that's my question. Like maybe instead of us trying to compare it to the standard, the whole standard needs to change. I agree. But I think somebody mentioned there earlier that the, the person, people in charge of the, developing our curriculum or, or have the final say are not educators anymore or never were educators. They're business people who see it from that perspective. And so to answer your question, there is a huge disconnect between high school and college. My, I have students that come back all the time and say, "You, are, I, I got straight A's here. I was valedictorian here, but I'm lost. So there is a huge disconnect between what is happening um, when they get to the university or even a community college level for some students and what happened to them in high school, whether they went to a CPS high school out or out of the city. Um, even if we had some bridge programs or, you know, you do some of those summer programs to kind of help you prepare. Um, a lot of students wish they had started their sophomore and junior year compared to the summer before their senior year, um, you know, transitioning over. So, yes, ma'am, I, I totally agree there's a huge connect between what's happening. Who do we think needs to be a part of? the reimagining of education. Because I can tell you one thing that I know we don't do enough of that is major in college, which is writing, right? Yeah. My babies, like my my kids that graduate from high school, they come back, they said, Ms. Warm, if anything I wish we did more in high school, it was writing. Mm -hmm. like, I get to college and that is what it's all about. It's writing presentations. Like, they're not looking at no worksheets. They're not looking at no notebooks. They don't care about, I mean, it's based on a couple of tests, mastery. So that's thing. I think that's something. And because we're so big about testing, writing isn't a part of that. So these kids could go through high school and never wrote a paper more than four pages, five pages, and you get to yeah. 
and your first class is like, okay, English 101, we need you to, they're like, what? What, what is going on? We, we didn't have to do that. So I think that, I mean, who do we think should be the person or the people involved in this like reimagining of what this curriculum looks for schools? Um, well, I definitely feel like as teachers, you know, we need to have a seat at the table. Um, because uh, from where I'm at, you know, we give these ideas and these complaints and these things to the union, but then it's like, are you really supporting me? Are you really, you know, sharing my concern or did it just get muffled up in the responses, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then the students, of course, as an English teacher, I am a huge advocate. I mean, the kids, they, they write so much. They're like, I never wrote this much in my life. And I'm like, that's all right. You know, because like, hey, when they get there, you're going to need it, you know, and you need to be prepared for it. Um, I said, even if you don't go to college, because a lot of people aren't looking at college um, in the workforce, you're going to need to know how to how to read and write with understanding. And, you know, and that's just a whole other issue of so many people that got pushed through who can't read with yeah. understanding. And now they are parents and they're adults, you know, and then that's hindering their career paths or job paths or, or mm -hmm. what, how they want to have a better life for their family. But um, the students should definitely have a voice. You know, uh, and, and not just like, I don't know, sometimes, you know, we have these groups and it's just a couple kids are selected, but we need to get all the kids in there from every, you know, socioeconomic background. They mm -hmm. need to be able to have a voice to say, this is what I'm feeling. Like, I'm tired of you dissing me about this and that or making these assumptions that I can't learn, I can't thrive and have a level of excellence, even in this time, you know, because I know we've all said a lot uh, and have had different opinions about that but it's like our kids still can thrive even as we keep going through you know and that's just something we remember um as a people like they need to be there and they need to be at the front saying hey this is how i feel and this is how what i want to learn like all that other stuff don't even matter you know mm -hmm. uh, one of my teacher friends now yes in the chat I'm yeah still I'll, I'll yeah go ahead yeah this the purpose Right, like we can change these measurements, but the purpose still remains that I believe they were not created for us to succeed on a holistic level. Mm -hmm. um, and so even having a daughter, right? Like, and being an educator, sometimes I try not to say too much to her because then she'll go back to her, her teachers and be like, Mom, I didn't say that, you know. Trey um, snitched on me a few times. Like, I didn't say that. Do this. <laughs> right. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that one thing is not the entirety of who you are. And so, in having these conversations just with her and some of my students, I say to them, the game was not meant for you to win the way that you're playing it. So let's figure out another way. So even if they change the test, then what does that mean for us? You know, if they change all of this and we're at the table creating this, what are we using it for? If we're saying that kids are not ready for life, then we just got to figure out how to make them ready for life. Because that's the essential piece that we're all saying, whether they go to college or not, some of them just aren't ready. And even if we change the test, like, what are we changing it to? Um, right. So that's kind of the questions I've always kind of posed. Yeah. What are we doing? How about this? Maybe Why the, do they have to have a test? Why do we have to have a test? Yeah. And, <laughs> like, maybe, and maybe where we're trying to get this education from, why are we putting so much power in schools? 
right? Yeah. So maybe the idea is that, because guess what? Y'all not going to play the game. Y'all not going to change the game. And we as parents, I think we got enough data and teachers, enough data to know that it's not going to change, regardless mm -hmm. if it's a different name. It could be Park, NWEA, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. It's going to be the same measures. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then maybe we need to start thinking more than what we started this conversation with is like community. So then mm -hmm. what do we need to put in our neighborhoods? What do we need to have provided for parents and children that isn't so dependent on schools so that we can make sure that our kids are prepared because um, school is not the only way that I can get educated, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Maybe more experiential learning. So taking a concept or a goal and using that as how we, how a, a student is taught, um, you know, more, I, I know right now we can't do out of the classroom or out of the house, but uh, more opportunities to kind of build out of the mental confines of what school has been, uh, whether that is working, your your math assignment is actually working with a businessman to build a business plan or look at how his business has grown or not grown over the pandemic and using that as a way to teach something compared to just a worksheet or assignment, but that real life that uh, both ladies have been talking about those real life applications. I think that will be a way to go to really build um, some futuristic or positive ways of getting students to engage into their learning because it's using something that they're interested in. When I talk to young people about entrepreneurship, they hear the word, they know the word, but then when I introduce them to young people who are 19 and 20 that are entrepreneurs and they might not use that vernacular, then they get it. Then it makes sense. Like, oh, he designed the side of gym shoes and he made a business out of that? I'm like, yeah, who who knew? You know, and so and that's we don't have to wait for school to bring because you did that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, because yeah. cause we could be like, well, can we have this guest speaker and a principal like, nah, they got to do the background check. They got to do another die. And we might know they ain't going to pass the background check, but they nope. still need to meet the kids. They still need to meet that child. And so yeah. I like that. Um, the idea yeah. of entrepreneurship, are they really going to teach it the way our kids need to know it anyway? So maybe we'll nope. do it outside the school. Yeah. Or send them to their uh particular videos you know especially mm -hmm. for the you know, person that's uh, a little more um out there than others you know send them the particular videos or particular places or check out this guy that um his name is like christopher case he's 20 years old he started making necklaces in chains that rappers and basketball players are wearing he's 19 he just graduated from high school and i'm like okay i, I went to masters i got a master's degree for what and you doing this <laughs> So, uh, so don't even get me started about. <laughs> so, but it made everybody in the algebra class I was in wake up because it's like, yes, he has to use math to make these measurements because these guys are not going to pay him $800 for this chain if the measurements are off. So he does have to use a level of math. He might not say, yes, this is the Pythagorean theorem, but mm -hmm. he's using some math. So, yes, pay attention in your math class. So, we have to find ways to to connect the outside to what they need. And like, like all of you have said that, why? Why do I need to pay attention? Why do I need to get on this chat? Because it can lead to this, this, and this. 
So definitely outside, outside speakers, videos, all of those kind of things. I think those would be helpful in building a, a new way to think and educate. I was reading yesterday, maybe the day before, um, and I didn't know something which had me thinking and I don't have the answer, but I'm just going to share. Uh, so in the Little Rock Nine, right, we all know about them um, mm -hmm. enter, entering the, the segregated school or whatever. What I didn't know is that that school district shut down the entire school of that city for a year. So right after they integrated, the school district shut down. And then in that particular area was the creation and influx of Catholic schools. Mm. And so as I was reading this, I also was reading that in that interim, those nine individuals were taught from people who were in other colleges, like you know any HBCUs, they would come and come to Little Rock and teach them during that year to make sure that they didn't lose any type of knowledge while they were waiting on you know the politics of integration mm -hmm. and they have thinking about why we don't do that and i know there are a couple of reasons why like we don't have resources we don't have you know we gotta work we don't have two parent homes like there's all of those pieces but why we don't um, maybe collectively get together and teach our kids ourselves um, whether we create homeschool pods or, you know, I don't know what it looks like, yeah. but it was people who were in these industries, in college or whatever, coming back to make sure that these kids didn't lose what they needed to know so that, you know, we can integrate in that particular um, stance continue over time. But for me, it was like, wait, they reached back. Mm -hmm. And I, I was kind of in my own feelings, like, well, what am I doing? Like, what am yeah. I doing beyond what I do to reach back and, and maybe do some tutoring or maybe, you know, facilitate some courses. I mean, I don't know, but I'm wondering like, what does that look like for us moving forward and how we could maybe collectively create these schools that were, that are just really a part of wherever we live or I don't know. I'm just kind of, I was in my feelings about it. Like, what in the world? Um, well, yeah, it sounds like freedom schools to me. I don't know if you all have ever heard of freedom yeah. school. Uh, no, so freedom schools are came out of um, freedom summer when the college students would go down south and, and were helping and trying to teach uh, the southerners their rights so that they can vote. And so these were college students that learned not only this skill, but they also learned uh, how to conduct themselves in sit-ins and how to help people get to the voting places when they were, you know, give them all those different little tests, like, you know, name all the capitals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. the voting. So it all came out of the Freedom Summer. And so now the Children's Defense Fund does it and it's Freedom Schools. It's the Freedom School Chicago. And that's, that's what they did. That's what I did in college was every summer I had students and we used books to teach conflict resolution. So that was just freedom school, but I feel like we can have that same um, level of community that you're you're desiring um, that's already built out of the freedom school movement where you get an opportunity to teach about a particular subject and make it really creative and interactive, but you also are giving them something so that when they go back into the classroom, both virtual and per in, in person, they have another way to look at things and it connects them better to connects them to the material more so i i think it exists i was gonna say does it still exist yes freedom school still exists it's a freedom school chicago uh but definitely um 
you know, something to help. Of course, there are definitely homeschools out there, um, schools that are made for us by us. Um, you know, Betty Shabazz comes to mind. I think it's another one that comes to mind. But um, yeah, the first thing that came to mind was Freedom School for me. Freedom, Freedom School Chicago and, and all of those initiatives. So the on on that note, what Danielle just said is hitting for me. So because even this year, you all, I um I'm still teaching, but I actually this year chose to homeschool my son. Okay. And for this very reason, um, last year, just the way things ended, and I just kind of forced one, I knew I wasn't gonna have him go back to school. And so that's a whole other podcast about them trying to put these babies back in school. Um, I wasn't gonna have him go back to school, and secondly, I didn't really feel like he was learning. <laughs> to be honest, like the things he was, I mean, I really felt like the things he was doing is okay. Once he got off, similar to what Marlena said, like, okay, you didn't understand it. I'll show him another video, and he pretty much learning himself. You know what I mean? And he would go back, and it was like, okay, you gave me the what I need to practice, but me actually comprehending and getting it was not because it didn't change the game because he logged out. Let me just say that. So he would have still, he would have still learned the material, you know. Yeah. And so this upcoming year, I was like, you know what? I was already going to transfer him, but I also felt like this is a really great opportunity for me to actually just kind of see what gaps he had. And for me to, um, and to be honest, with me teaching, it just made it a little bit less hectic, me trying to still coordinate his schedule versus mine. And so I did get connected to um, some homeschools. I know quite a few families who do homeschooling, and they really connect me with some really dope curriculums, things they created themselves, I mean, things that they do. And and I believe in it's just that, like it, it allowed me to really say, okay, how can I integrate some of the things and skills I want him to know, period, um, in, in addition to this curriculum. And so I think for me, the takeaway that I have, because I want us to start thinking about what do we want people to leave with, is the responsibility I have with having a nonprofit, right? I think that we have things that, you know, God put on our heart to do. And the reason I started my nonprofit is because I understood the way my I want to approach education may not be supported through a traditional school, right? And I don't want, I want to own, um, I want it to be more community involved. I want families involved. I'm really passionate about the, like I'm very selective about the books our kids read. Like I want their voices all throughout it. You know what I mean? I don't want them to feel like they don't have a say so. And so hearing this takeaway from me is going on the lines of this freedom school. Like what can I do within my org that really allows the community to teach themselves. I always talk about my mantra is we are, you know, it really takes the village. I really believe that. Like I can do nothing. My son is his best self because other people are involved. <laughs> Not just because I'm his mom. It's because he has a really, really dope village around him. And so I think for me, my takeaway is as I think about programming, especially when we come out of this quarantine is how can I get more people who are like us as educators that know what they really need to know what can we teach them and not just be like a tutoring program because tutoring matters you know those things matter but how can i really create program that allows people to instill and pour into um our our community so that's my takeaway yeah. i think that that's what we need to do so what do you all feel is like your takeaway for today you know when i was sharing that i was going to be uh, a part of this um, panel discussion, someone had reached out to me and they're like, you know, we're really having a serious issue locally 
with adults 25 to 35 years old who are struggling readers. And they're just overwhelmed. Uh, they're lacking resources. And I was just thinking like, okay, you know, what can I personally do as an educator? Um, and, you know, sometimes different organizations mean well, but sometimes, especially dealing with our own people, you need, you need to know that someone really cares about what your issue is. And I'm not here to demean you or embarrass you, but, you know, I'm expecting you to, to learn and to grow. Right. You know, so I just did, a, I did a post yesterday, simple post, and I added some audio to it. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe this could be an avenue where I could help them um and they can be wherever nobody has to know you know i tell the kids all the time nobody has to know if you don't know how to read a clock or do math no one has to know that you're studying that you don't have to be on snapchat talking something talking about hey i'm doing my math you know whatever it is that the skill that you lack you can keep working on that so i'm thinking you know right now that's what i'm thinking about is how can i use my experience to be able to help people with dignity to be able to let them yeah. see yes i'm an adult but um, I can still learn how to read because if, when I know how to read, then my babies know how to read. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to break that generational curse. You know, we're going to break these cycles that's keeping us in the different situations that we're in. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the takeaway of, like you said, of, of, you know, all those ideas, community. Um, it makes a difference. Um, and, you know, so in all our different areas of how we can connect in some kind of way. But even right now, while we're still virtual, I'm feeling like that's still a connection. I think someone can feel and say, you know what? They took the time to do this. Okay, let me let me pick it up and at least listen to it and in in and practice and, and see what else they're gonna bring uh, to be you know to be able to help. So that's uh that's what I'm thinking about. That's awesome. Awesome. Oh, I guess I can go. I was deep in thought. Um. It's super layered. So in talking to like the the people that are part of the research that I'm doing, a mm-hmm. lot of what I hear is them as educators, black educators, not feeling empowered to make a difference. Like feeling like, well, the reason why they left the profession is feeling like no matter what they did, it wouldn't matter. Um, and so it has me, I've always been a rebel. I call myself like the self Proclaim rebel. I don't care. You tell me something. I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. Um, but it had me thinking, like, where did that come from? Um, because people I thought just had that, right? Um, and I'm wondering now what else I can do within the work to empower other educators to make a stand. Whether you are standing up for your students and the curriculum that you teach by teaching them something different or something that you know connects to them or you're standing up to admin in some of the um, practices within the structure of your school that do not really make sense for your for your students. Um, because that's where it really has to start when we mobilize people who are on the ground with just confidence in being able to do that without um, having them think about the repercussions of that, then we can probably do a lot more. So that's where I'm taking it away. Like, what can I do to really mobilize our our people who are really in front of kids? Because I've always known that I wanted to do that. And I knew that I wanted to be outside of the classroom, but it was hard for me to codify my own knowledge in a way that someone could replicate it. 
Um, and so I've been in the space of like, it comes from confidence. And I don't really know where along the line someone decided they didn't have that. But a lot of times our educators aren't confident enough to, to stand up to the system. And so that's, that's where my brain is. Awesome. My takeaway, I, I think from the student's perspective is um, giving, uh, allowing grace for themselves and for what they are going through. Um, because I think we've all mentioned that um, we're still requiring of them to do everything they would have done if this hadn't happened. So I really believe that that um, is one of the takeaways to uh, allow them space to just not quite know what to do with themselves because they're teenagers and um, kind of grow into what they will do next. Um, and also, I think my biggest takeaway from our conversation tonight is really being a support where we can for uh, those families. I think we all mentioned that um, we're, we come from a different, we come from a place of privilege in a lot of ways because we had really good teachers, because we had that real college experience um, and all of those things. And that some of our friends that we went to high school with didn't have the same background and they passed that on to their kids. So just to be mindful of the interactions that we have with our students and educators that everyone doesn't have what we had. So those, those are the things that I'm taking away from our conversation. And I hope other people take away. I agree. I'm with that homeschooling information as well, Jarema. Yeah. Could have share with sister. I'm doing double duty. Oh. <laughs> I'd be tired. I'm glad we all here. I'm glad we know here. So we can learn from one another. And, and to be honest, I got the information just by someone connecting me, like being able to say, like, man, it has to be another way. And I think that. I mean, that's why I love having these kind of conversations because it just makes you think about things differently. I think there was a time when people actually kind of shunned homeschooling, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. they're socially awkward, they're not bad, whatever. But homeschool is on a whole nother level, you all. Like, mm -hmm. people are enjoying, I mean, especially before the um, pandemic, people were like, I mean, doing exploratory science and, you know, they still met, you know, certain days doing field trips. And I mean, they're not missing a beat. And I think you also aren't left to have your child in third grade doing third grade work. I mean, if your child is excelling here, they're doing this. And then maybe here they're on third grade, maybe on fifth grade math. You know, you don't have the restrictions of, I think, within a school. But I think that, that would actually be a really cool podcast to have, like the variant. Because I think sometimes we just don't even know the options out there. Yes. for our kids and we just feel like the only way my child is going to get pushed is if they pass the standardized test and get to this high school but maybe it's just a whole nother pro why have them go through that maybe they it's another way of of doing it so absolutely yeah so yeah. i just want to say i have really enjoyed myself i'm like oh my yeah. gosh i could just keep talking about this but i'm so excited to have um you all in this work i believe it matters that we understand where everyone's feeling I, I love Catherine you're representing Peoria and just I mean just us here in Chicago I think it's just good to have a different perspective some things are very universal others um are just very you know so, you know depending on where you live and so I think it's just important that we continue to have these conversations and the reason I do the takeaways as well because hold me accountable you know what I mean like 
I mean, I believe that I want to, I feel like we have a responsibility for the things that God allows us to do. And if he's blessed me with this platform, with my nonprofit, I need to do right by it for the people that I do with the same thing as you talked about helping people when it comes to reading, like that's your passion, that's your gift, you know, and you have that idea. He didn't give me that idea. You know what I mean? So you know, making sure you do right by it with your dissertation. I mean, educating the world through that, empowering educators, jostling with exposure as you spoke to and just your your background, freedom schools, that gave me something to look into. I think it's just important for us to continue to have these conversations because like I said, then we know how we can better reimagine education. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that those who listened, you've enjoyed this time. I hope that you are subscribing. I hope that you are, um, every week we will have a different topic. We will be really moving forward and just using this platform to educate. I just want y'all to see y'all y'all getting y'all flowers before, you know, mm-hmm. they said, great talk ladies, love the conversation. I learned some great takeaways, great perspectives. Great job, ladies. This was absolutely phenomenal. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, we will see you next week. Um, again, if you subscribe, you'll be able to see the um, you'll be able to see what we're talking about next week. And this will also be uploaded on audio on all pl- podcast um, platforms. So if you want to share this and share this with your community so we can continue the conversation. But until next time, take care, you all. all right, thank you. Thank you.